Wicked Curious Radio with Roxy's Wicker is a Patreon-supported podcast. Please go to patreon.com, Roxy's Wicker, for more information about the great benefits that you will find becoming a patron of this show. Thank you for your support. Good evening, everyone. It is your mystery maven, Roxy Zwicker, coming to you with season four of Wicked Curious Radio, a very, very special Halloween edition. I am accompanied by the Professor Lou Blassie, and we have three terrifying tales for you to sort of keep that Halloween spirit going. And I'm actually so excited that we are on season four of Wicked Curious Lou. I know, right? And we did a couple together, and you've done one or two without me, and now we're back. I'm happy to be back doing this again. The ghost stories just don't stop. There's so many of them. I don't know um, if we'll ever be able to fit them all in in one season. I'm constantly picking up on them and picking up old stories that I may have forgotten about, and that is really just sort of our segue into our first story this evening. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Western Massachusetts in the Amherst, Northampton area. And one of the great things about being in Western Mass is there are a lot of fantastic colleges that are out there. And those colleges come with mysterious buildings. And as a kid, you know, riding through these towns past UMass Amherst or past Smith College, I used to love to look up at these houses and imagine what their history was before it became part of the college. A lot of these houses were built in the 17 and 1800s, and some of them come with ghost stories. It just, it seems to be that these old houses have a past that is very much alive for the people that have now moved in them and what they choose to do with them in this house particularly that I'm going to be sharing with you is um, particularly odd and I often wonder if you were given the opportunity to do the same thing that these folks do in this old haunted house would you dare so this house is actually located at Smith College so Smith College is located in Northampton, Massachusetts. Beautiful college, amazing buildings. Um, as a kid in junior high school and high school, we used to take field trips to Smith College. And um, it's, it's one of those places where, again, you look at all these houses and you're like, all right, which one has the best ghost stories? So this one I particularly like because it has tales of legendary suicides and lovelorn couples. This beautiful house is covered in ivy and it's one of the student houses. So there are a lot of houses that have now been repurposed as dormitories. And I don't even really think the name dormitories gives you a sense of how beautiful these places are. When we think about dormitories, we think of, you know, sort of like these uh, more modern apartments, but these are apartments in old houses. The name of this house is called the Sessions House. It's a beautiful white colonial house. It was built in the 1700s by a man named Jonathan Hunt Sessions. And at the time, it originally was called Bridgman's Place. It was one of two buildings that was 
located just outside of the stockade that used to surround Northampton back at the end of the Puritan days. So again, sort of thinking about Northampton in its early days, you know, it was sort of in the wild west of Massachusetts. There was a lot of Native American attacks and skirmishes that were out there. So thinking about, you know, this building almost being an outpost back in its day. The house was built with one of my favorite things, a secret stairway and a tunnel that ran to a place called Paradise Pond. And in case the folks in the house needed to escape downriver, this tunnel led from the house downriver so they could hide out during any Native American raids that were happening. Some people believe that the tunnel may actually have reached all the way down to the Connecticut River. And there are some stories that it was probably used as part of the Underground Railroad during the Civil War, which was a network of safe houses for enslaved people to escape to freedom. Now, according to the legend about this house, British General John Burgoyne stayed at Bridgman Place during the Revolution, and he fell in love with the Hunt's daughter, and her name was Lucy. Now, since the Hunts were fairly loyal Americans, they discouraged Lucy from meeting with Burgoyne. But, you know, that temptation of, you know, that secret love did not keep them apart. And they continued to meet, and some people say that they still do. And, of course, it's most seen and experienced on Halloween. Some people say that these two lovelorn spirits still haunt that secret passageway. And of course, it was the perfect place to get out of the eye of the disapproving parents. And some people say that sometimes Burgoyne's ghost stalks the tunnel at midnight and he's calling in the tunnel for her to come and join him. Just sort of this, imagine these sounds emanating from underneath the house. Um, you know, these moans and groans calling to, again, his, his lost love, as it were. And, of course, Lucy, at, you know, the push of her parents, decided to reject his marriage proposal, which is just, you know, so heartbreaking because, according to the story, she would have gladly run off with him. But the parents apparently had gotten the last word in the story. Now, in 1900, fast forward to Smith College, the house was used for students there. A woman named Ruth Sessions um, had taken over the house and was really the house mom to the students that were there. And simply by accident, she found this secret staircase. Mm -hmm. And she loved to, with the students, play games of hide and seek. And it was the perfect place to play hide and seek on Halloween. So became this tradition on Halloween to see if they could find the secret staircase. From year after year, the new students who were staying there had heard about it, but it was on Halloween that they were actually allowed to go and try and find it. Now, this Halloween hunt had very specific rules that people had to adhere to. Um, very, very strict. Now, they could only go so far in the tunnel because portions of the tunnel had collapsed. You know, now we're, um, you know, well over 150 years after the tunnel was built. 
So you could only go so far. And also, you could not talk outside of the house about the tunnels. This was just a, a secret Halloween thing. So whatever you saw or experienced or learned about the tunnel was to remain a secret. And of course, how intriguing is that? So um, it was really thought to be a privilege for those who were living in the house to have the ability to go and explore it on Halloween night. And again, this is, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, would this be something that you would be willing to do? Would you be interested in going and finding this staircase? So what they would do is they would get a upperclassman and dress her like Lucy Hunt's ghost. And she would hide somewhere along the route of the tunnel. And then, of course, the students were given 20 minutes in complete darkness. All the lights were turned out in the house, no candles, no nothing. And they had to search this darkened house for the tunnel, knowing the ghost of Lucy might actually be there. And then, of course, being surprised that there was someone dressed like Lucy there. Now, um, there were also other characters, people that were brought in as students to hide behind the staircase and to hide um, in the closets. So as the students are searching this darkened house that is haunted, looking for this tunnel, there's other students jumping out in the dark trying to scare them from continuing their search for this tunnel. So, I mean, truly a haunted house. Um, and then after the 20 minutes was up, of course, you couldn't talk about what had happened that night. At the end of the evening, it wasn't allowed until next Halloween. So just these groups of people in that experience on that night, keeping it all to themselves. And of course, very intriguing for those on campus who knew there was a little something odd going on in the house. Now, there was also a couple of other stories about this same location, which by the way, still does stand today. There were said to be the spirits of two children that haunted this building as well. The legend about that was that a mother had thought her children were the ghost of Lucy and of course, her long lost love. And she had chased the children into the parlor and according to legend, stabbed her children to death thinking that they were intruders in the house. There are also said to be all sorts of other strange goings on that happen in the house as well that you can see shadow people looking out the windows of the house particularly on halloween now is it the shadows of the people that are looking for the tunnel or is it the shadows of the ghosts and what's interesting about that is they are described to be dressed in 18th century garb in the windows so in more recent years i've tried to find out if they still have this tradition in the house. But again, everybody's very tight-lipped over there and won't talk about it. So I can't help but drive by and wonder um, what remains of the tunnel and if this tradition still continues and if the ghosts are there. So um, one of my, my favorite Halloween stories from um, one of the towns that I grew up in. It's, I think the shadow people are those students who get scared during the during that so? the tunnel, yeah, <laughs> there's the energies blotches when they get scared going in. What a great story, huh? And it's got a nice 
this is one of the things about all your stories and all the things we delve into into into, into New England. It's like a the building is st still there. B it goes back to the Revolutionary War, which we love, and mm -hmm. uh, just that whole connection and just having that tied to the past. And I, would you go down into? You'd go down in tunnels. I'd I'd certainly go down. I'd have to go down in tunnels. Yeah, I'd be I'd be obligated, and I'd want to see how far that tunnel actually went. I know it's amazing. It's it's amazing. Think of the effort back in the day of building a tunnel that would go from there to the Connecticut River. Yeah, it's 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 not a a short journey from where Smith College is to the Connecticut River. I mean, you're talking probably at least um, two miles to get there. And you know, in in those conditions back in the day, to think about what it was actually as a tunnel, like you know, it would it wouldn't have walls it wouldn't have proper supports i mean it was probably just like this dirt hole that led out to the river now if this was secretive in terms of within the house where did you get the tails to this how did the tails slip out so um of course there were legends about the house and people wanted to get into the house for halloween so finally in the 1990s um, Smith College came clean about a lot of the haunted buildings they had because there are other haunted buildings on campus as well. So they did an interview um, with the Daily Hampshire Gazette and shared some of the stories. Everybody already knew the history of the house and the legend of Lucy and Burgoyne, but the mystery was there as to whether or not the tunnel was still there and what traditions sort of followed after that. There were even rumors that seances were done in the house on Halloween and that things were said to have moved around. It was believed to have been Lucy. Mm. Well, Victorian times, right? Seances were a big thing. Absolutely. So how big, is, give me a picture of the size of this house. How big is this? How many people generally live in this house? Um, so, I mean, it is, you know, your, your, your standard colonial house um, with additions in the back. So um, three-story house, a beautiful porch, um, carriage house in the back. Yeah. So you would you maybe easily to uh, you know probably fit a family of eight or ten in there back in the day. And also considering that it was an outpost, it needed to be large in its own right, of course, to accommodate the people that would be keeping post there as well. Yep. It's amazing at this point in time that there's not a TikTok or something of those tunnels. <laughs> it's it's one of those stories that has you know sort of gotten lost over the years and, and of course as you know those are the ones that I'm always literally trying to dig up and just because I I lived out there I knew um, a lot about it and uh, I think that's that's sort of the reason one of the reasons why I dredged it up because they don't talk about it that much yeah and I'm surprised you didn't end up knocking on their door at some point you know and and, and that's that's my challenge all the time is uh, you know do I go and ask uh, you know, can I come in? Is there something going on in the house? Sometimes I get really lucky and I'll be outside and, you know, I'll be taking pictures and somebody will come out. Yep. And they'll be like, so what are you doing? And then I sort of explain who I am. And um, most of the time people are pretty cool. Sometimes they're like, you know, thanks, take your pictures and see you later type of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, very tempting. It's still a student house? It is. Uh -huh. See, they'd, they'd be open to you. You get to go knock on that door. I'll just tell them I went to school down the street at the high school. So you remember me back in the 80s? They would love this story. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if it would bring too much attention because, uh, you know, there, there's always that perception that once a ghost story gets out, you know, the curious folks that are out there, you know, will stop and, you know, knock on the door or try to get in. Um, and some places don't want that. Um, but I really think it's it's part of the history. And, you know, one of the things that speaks to me so much in the story is, you know, General Burgoyne, I mean, that's, yeah. that's not a foreign name to me. That's somebody I remember learning about, um, you know, when I was learning about the, you know, the history of, of our country and certainly New England. So, you know, that's a, that's a big draw to me. Any, any idea of what happened to either Lucy or John? My understanding is she went on to marry somebody else and was not as happy, of course, as she thought she would have been with him. Um, again, she married who her parents had chosen for her. And um, I'm not sure uh, what sort of uh, romantic life that Burgoyne had after Lucy. Um, I guess that's something I probably should look into. And he was stuck in a tunnel. How much romantic could he get? How romantic could he get? I, it, I mean, it probably doesn't get any more romantic than that. Um, you know you know me. We've talked about this over shows over the years. Tunnels fascinate me. Just the whole tunnel thing fascinates me. So I love this part of the story, too. Well, and, and I, I like that on Halloween they do this hunt for the tunnel and the house is pitch black. Yeah. Like can you can you imagine what it would be like to be there in this dark house where people are hiding to jump out at you to, to try to just dissuade you from trying to find the tunnel. And then you know what do you, how do you do this? Are you opening doors? Are you feeling for um, secret panels in the wall? Like yeah. how are you even attempting to find this tunnel? So And if I remember um, I think correctly the thrill of the hunt. If I remember correctly, that was 1900s, early 1900s? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, what, they're carrying around candles, looking around this house, trying to find secret stairwells, and uh, uh, so much fun. Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely um, such, a, such a brilliant story. It almost, almost makes me want to find a, a house up here on the, on the seacoast and reenact that, and I'll probably find a tunnel. <laughs> yeah, you probably will find a tunnel. Certainly secret staircases, plenty of those. Absolutely, absolutely. And there are, um, like I said, other buildings at Smith College that are also um, also haunted. So it's worth just even um, taking a ride by because these houses are in such great condition. Um, that's one of the great things about colleges in general. Um, as long as you know they're doing well, the buildings that are put in their care yep. also do very well. Um, there's an amazing um, Second Empire style Victorian house in their collection and I swear it's like my my favorite house in Northampton and I'm like someday someday I'm gonna hear a story about that house yeah unfortunately I haven't yet but it doesn't mean that I won't and that's back when they were building houses those houses were gorgeous and if they've been kept up to the degree that Smith College does they're just beautiful to look at they, they really are and the the street that a lot of these houses are on is like double wide so you can sort of imagine this was a true avenue back in the day so this would be a place where people would you know go and stroll you can picture the horses and carriages like it really yeah. is evocative of that time frame and there's you know very little you know aside from modern cars and street lights and you know things like that but just remove that layer and you're back there yeah. and um it's one of those those special spaces 
this is the fun part of the history that you include in the tours that you do is that you really can get in the space because you're right in front of the building same building same space you don't have to imagine much all you have to do is let your mind wander back to an earlier time and it's very easy to do it's great it, you know it's great storytelling it is it is and um, I thought that would be a, a great story to uh, start our Halloween show off with I mean it's just uh, so appropriate and um, if you know if anybody wants to to reach out you can always reach out and um, contact me at roxyswicker at gmail.com if you have any stories um, about Smith College or if you've heard anything about this particular house um, I'd love to hear more um, just because again this is the area that I grew up in and you know spent a lot of time um, around these houses and I'd love to to add more to these stories and that's sort of the I guess the bonus of doing what I do it might seem far-fetched to put that request out there but time and time again I get people on my tours or at my talks that are direct links and relations back to these stories so this is what I'd love to have a little bit more on if it's out there For our second story, for Halloween night, we're going to talk a little bit about death, possession, and of course, a graveyard. Three things you need for any Halloween celebration. So this story concerns a young lady named Susie Smith. She was 17 years old. Uh, She was the daughter of Dr. Greenleaf Smith of Lawrence, Massachusetts. And the very strange occurrence that happened upon her death during the 1800s still cannot be explained to this day. Mm. Is there some sort of scientific explanation for this? Was it otherworldly? Will it cause you to believe in spirits? We'll have to see where this story is going to take you. So Susie was a very popular girl. She had lots of friends. In fact, she was the organist at Webster Hall in Lawrence, Massachusetts. One day she had taken sick and on a gloomy Wednesday, she woke up from a very, very deep sleep and exclaimed to her father, that she had attended her own funeral. The experience that she described to him was so real and very vivid in the smallest of details. And she spoke of these details, including things like the hymns that were sung at her funeral, um, how the mourners were dressed, who was there, um, who was in line getting into the church. And her family sat and listened to her account, really with, um, I guess what we could call a very grim amazement. They couldn't believe that it was like hearing exactly, you know, moment by moment, what to expect at her funeral. Sadly, just hours after Susie explained this vision or this journey that she went on, 
she actually passed away that night. Hmm. And as she passed away, her body shook in violent spasms. And once the spasms were over, she was lifeless. Her face was pale and it was almost hard to believe that it was just hours before she was talking about this funeral in such great detail. So Susie's family stood there over her silent, now dead body and, and cried and tried to reconcile the loss of this beautiful and vibrant young woman. And all of a sudden, as they were standing there over her body, they heard a very loud, gruff voice say, rub both her arms as hard as you can. And the doctor who is still present in the room grabbed Susie's arms and started rubbing them repeatedly. Everybody else in the room looked around to see if they could figure out, you know, who was commanding this? You know, where did this voice come from? And they didn't hear the voice for the next couple of minutes, but the doctor went ahead and he was rubbing Susie's arms, trying to get her to, to come to in a very strange way. Like they didn't even question where this voice had come from. So while he was trying to get her to come to rubbing her arms, a second voice rung out in this room. It was different from the first voice and it instructed the doctor to raise her up. So Susie's father reached around her dead body, propped her up and sat right behind her. So if you can sort of picture Susie leaning her dead body, leaning up against her father. And it seemed to be within just moments, Susie started to breathe and everybody was completely shocked by what they had seen. So all of a sudden there was another voice and the other voice that came through was also different than the first two. And it said, if I could move her legs around so that I could set them up on the footboard and put her feet where they could rest, she'd be all right. And again, people are looking around the room in amazement. Wow. They're now leaving the room, going to other rooms in the house. And there's nobody else there. They were all gathered in the room where Susie had died. Before the doctor could reach down, move her feet and put them on the board, all of a sudden they watched her body do it for itself. The feet swung over, rested on the footboard. The legs were now in a completely different position. Then it was described that Susie's body was possessed by a very friendly but energetic spirit. And this too seemed to be different than the others that had come forth. This spirit decided to move Susie back into her original position on her deathbed. So uh, imagine sort of the chaos of the scene yeah. of seeing this dead body, this girl, who, remember, was alive at the beginning of the day. Now she's dead. There are these voices talking about moving her around. And then all of a sudden, she's moving on her own. And she even took some breaths. So as people were sitting there, completely awestruck and dumbstruck at what had happened, they were also wondering what was going to happen next. You know, was this even a, a safe position to be in? Should they go and get the minister? 
to sit with them or, you know, was this some sort of bad possession that was happening? Hmm. So a fifth spirit came forward and this one seemed to want to have a bit of a conversation. <laughs> and this conversation lasted for three hours into the night, according to the people that were there. Wow. And the voice informed the family that Susie's body had been possessed by all of these different spirits. And once again, Susie seemed to be in this deep sleep, almost like a catatonic state. And in the morning, after sitting there all night long, you know, the spirit talking about the possession, in the morning at first light, Susie's eyes opened. And she asked, who am I? And her father turned around and said, you are Susie Smith. And the spirit replied in a voice that was not Susie's, no, I ain't. Susie Smith died last night. Oh, wow. Then the story goes on to say that for the rest of the day, this spirit spoke through Susie, maintaining that Susie indeed was dead. By Friday morning now, now it's a couple of days after Susie's passing, her body seemed to have, again, these spasmodic episodes. And after the spasmodic episodes stopped, her body was quiet and cold. And now it truly seemed like she had passed on. There was no further presence of spirits. There was no sounds. There were no voices. No one talking till the wee hours of the night. So the doctor decided that perhaps it was time to prepare her for burial. You know, considering all that had gone on, it's probably best to put this body in the ground yeah, before right. something yeah. else happens. So um, the family was trying to decide where to bury Susie. And again, it was a, I guess there was a, a bit of confusion and even debate like some people wanted to bury her right away while others are wondering was she really dead was yeah. there a possibility that she was going to come back um, with all the strange occurrences that had happened so the family decided to leave the doctor in the room to, to prep Susie's body for burial they went downstairs into another room in the house and decided to talk about where they wanted to bury her as they were having this discussion in another room in the house, they maintained that the ghost or the spirit of Susie walked into the room as they were talking about where to bury her. And the spirit said, right on the school hill near the side of the road. Now, everybody that was in the room could clearly hear the footsteps of this ghost, Susie, walking into the room and then she turned around and simply vanished right before their eyes. And oddly enough, as strange as it sounds, the family respected the decision of this ghost that maintains that, you know, they were Susie. So they were trying to find this location that she described, very specific, on a hillside next to a school by the road. And oddly enough, they ended up going all the way up to Freiburg, Maine, to find that same exact spot. 
the hillside next to the schoolhouse, little cemetery that's there next to the road. And that is where she is buried today. Wow. So much to unpack there. I know. Can you imagine the trauma of being in that room and having these fighting, uh, overwhelming things coming at you? Your daughter's death, first of all, that you're fighting with. Is she dead? Is she not dead? And then these voices that are coming from nowhere, competing for your attention. And they focused on the daughter and making the daughter it's okay, which is must have been challenging mm-hmm. with just random voices in the room. So then, you know, that leads me to believe, so are those guides? Are they angels? What sort of spirits were they? And we know um, the spirit of Susie had come through as well. Um, were those spirits ones that showed Susie that vision of her own funeral? Like, there's, there's a lot to digest there. Yeah, and I'm curious, there's several things I'm curious about. Did the doctor respond because this voice came out of nowhere and it seemed authoritative? Or did the doctor respond because that made sense to him at this point? That was some, some medical practice for some response to some sort of condition. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question um, because he you know, didn't even hesitate yeah. with the instructions that he was given. He just got up and did it while other people are like, where is this voice coming from? Yeah, it's 50-50. You run out of the room or you actually do it, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, in that situation, um, if I'm able to stay in the room, I think that would probably freak me out a little too much, particularly with a dead body lying in front of me. Yeah, yeah, a family member's dead body lying in front of you too. Right. Yeah, God, fascinating. And so they were with the woman that the spirit that possessed Susie for days, a couple days. Um. So for for three hours oh, three. that overnight that spirit was talking to the family and then that spirit would come and go over the next couple of days as they were trying to figure out, you know, should we bury her or is there, you know, a chance that she's going to come back? And I guess, you know, no, sort in of the time between the... is that she wasn't going to be coming back from yeah, what they were the... getting from the spirits. In the time between, the... there was a first death and a second death, right? Right. Yeah, so there was a spirit in, in Susie in between those deaths. Or she wasn't up moving around. She was just in bed, I, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Oh, God. Think about it, that. It's, um, it's interesting because, you know, if we, we take a look at this story, um, you know, even, even through modern times, um, you know, people that I've known and people that I've talked to over the years, that, you know, somebody can be deemed clinically dead, but it still sometimes seems like, their breathing or their body spasms. And there is that question, like, are they really dead or is this, you know, what the body does? And then, you know, if you want to step over into the spiritual realm, you know, thinking about spirits that are there to to bring them over to the other side, um, which is probably more common than most people realize. Um, I, I have a lot of stories about, you know, um, hospice places and things like that, sure. um, where spirits just show up when someone passes, whether they're related or not related, to sort of bring them over. Um, so I, I like all you know all the different things that are happening in in this story. It seems like everything happened when yeah. Susie died. And then from Lawrence, Massachusetts to Freiburg, Maine, that's a lot of wandering. 
That is. In the 1800s, too. It's a lot of wandering. It was. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, sort of, you know, in my mind, reading into that story, I wonder if, you know, their journey of finding this exact place, space that she described, did they do it to make sure that her spirit would rest in peace? Thinking that if they found the wrong place, that, you know, maybe her, her body might be possessed or she might come back from the dead. So trying to get into their mindset of finding that space. Also makes for an interesting and probably very effective grieving process too, because that was a time investment for them mm -hmm. and, and getting away from the situation and being on their own and processing the grief of losing their daughter. Mm -hmm. Have you had, this sounds like a very unique story to me. Have you had any experiences like this where disembodied voices have accompanied the death of somebody? Yeah, we have, um, I, I've probably mentioned it in um, previous episodes, but it's funny because I have a, a sort of new piece to the story. So um, we have a, an old age home in Portsmouth and this story has been, I mean, it's been passed down probably at least 30 years that when someone passes away, there are um, the spirits of children that right. yeah. appear in the room or talk or, um, you know, the, the resident will talk about seeing this child and then they're, you know, they're dead later that night. So I was actually at um, a, uh, a campfire ghost storytelling last week. It was uh, out in the middle of woods in uh, New Hampshire. It was for the Girl Scouts, and we had the campfire going. And uh, out of you know the Girl Scouts that were there, the most scared person was one of the chaperones. It was one <laughs> yeah. of the moms. Yep. She's like, "Your stories aren't going to be too scary, are they?" And I'm like, "Well," she's like, "As you know, ghosts really scare me." Well, what are the odds? I mean, obviously they must be pretty good. What are the odds that one of the places I was talking about had a direct link to this woman that's like, I don't want to uh -huh. hear about ghosts. Yeah. And it was that old age home in Portsmouth. And the story that I described, I kid you not, I know it's going to sound crazy. <laughs> the story that I described happened to her mom. Oh my God, really? And she, she's, she was sitting there and she's like, this is all just a little too much for me. Yep. And it was the same thing about a child appearing, you know, within the day of that person passing and someone either, you know, again, saying there's a child in the room or um, the resident themselves saying that this child came to visit me. Um, and the story I was telling was about another resident, not her, mm -hmm. which I had spoken to the family members of this other resident, no relation but the same exact scenario. She was so spooked. But then again, I'm thinking to myself, what are the odds? Out of all the stories that I have and all the stories that I tell, I told that one and she's sitting right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that uh, old age home, that nursing home in Portsmouth has been there a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know, the woman who I talked to previously um the one that had you know given me her personal experience with that story she took it as a good thing um she said you know at least she wasn't alone when she right. passed yep and this other woman she's like i don't even know what to think of it she's like i i need to process this 
And there's there's a lot of that in the story that I just told about Susie. Like, what do you, what do you do if there's a spirit there and someone's passing? Like, do you usher them away? Yeah. Do you invite them to stay? Um, are they a good spirit? Are they a bad spirit? Why are they there? Um, why does it happen for some people and not others? Like, there's again, there's a lot to unpack here. Well, several were trying to save Susie, which right. is interesting, and one ended up possessing her. Whether it was, I, I don't know, I, I hate to use the term, or whether it was a jury ride or not, I don't know. <laughs> but ended up in the body. I'm interested in what was part of that conversation. Till what do you talk about with the spirit that's possessing your daughter's body till three in the morning? What's that conversation like? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's you know about letting go. Um, I'm, I'm not. Not having been in that situation, I can't yeah. even imagine. Well, several of the spirits were kindly. They were trying to save her, so they would have a, a kind approach to helping the family process it, too. Yeah, and, you know, she was she was said to, you know, be a kindly person herself in life that had, you know, so many friends and went to church and, you know, apparently did all the right things. Great story. Love that story. Yeah, it's... it's it, it, it brings about a lot of questions, though. And I, I not about the story itself, but, like, just, you know, death and passages in general. Um, because it is um, just such a an energy-charged experience. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think everything that we think we perceive or think that we know in that situation isn't all of it. Um, and certainly... Again, from the amount of stories that I've heard, there's a lot more that's going on in those in those last moments. Again, because of all the energy and emotion and feeling and um, movement of energy too. And when someone passes, that energy, I'm a firm believer, is going somewhere. It's moving throughout the space. The doctor didn't flee. The family didn't flee with the voices. And then, I'm sorry, if my daughter sits up and tells me I'm not Susie Smith anymore, she died last night, I'm out of the room. <laughs> <That point. laughs> yeah, I, I guess I would have to. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you on that one. Like, yeah, that was a killer. That was a killer right there. That's that's a statement you don't want to hear. Yeah, that's a, a little overwhelming for sure. Yeah. So um, there we have the uh, the ghost of Susie Smith. You you decide what sort of spirits. Those were, and if there are spirits at all, when when someone passes over, and you know what what would they want, and are you truly alone when you cross over? You know, um, even if it's not people that you know, are there people going to be there to to welcome you? Uh, it's definitely um, something worth exploring. All right, so one final terrifying tale for our Halloween show. Now, if you've, if you've been out with me on any of my tours or any of my talks, I, I do love, you know, spooky, scary stories. I also love ones that have a little touch of humor as well. <laughs> yeah. Because I think humor can be incredibly disarming. Um, and then, you know, then you sort of go in for the kill. Pun intended, I guess. <laughs> um, you go in for the kill with the story. So um, if you come out with me, yeah, there's a lot of bad puns. There's a lot of bad jokes from time to time. But I do that on purpose to sort of set you up and give you a comfort level and then sort of give you the, the really scary, gory story. 
So this one has a, a fun factor to it. Um, this is from Vermont, and it's called The Barber's Ghost. And what I love about the story is it takes place at a tavern. So um, an old tavern in the early 1800s at a time when taverns weren't just places to go and drink or to have spirits, as it were. There were places to stay over. Mm-hmm. And there was always all sorts of interesting entertainment that you would find at this tavern. And this tavern had a barber that would come every so often. He sort of made the rounds to the taverns. And this was a place that he had stayed uh, really until he got murdered. Ooh. So let me tell you a little bit more. Bad haircut? <laughs> you know, sometimes a bad haircut could warrant. Yeah. But um, let's get into this story. So this happened in uh, northern Vermont, and a gentleman was passing by on his horse, and he strolled up to this tavern. If you can imagine, you know, back in the early 1800s, as, as widespread as Vermont is today, back then it was even more widespread. Mm. To find a tavern, you know, who knows how far down that dirt road you're going to travel until you see the next sign of life. Let sort of like finding cell service today in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's probably a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so imagine this gentleman, this traveler who's been going all day long, him and his horse, and he's arrived at this tavern only to find that the tavern keeper said it's full and there's no room. No room. <laughs> no room. No room at the tavern. Yeah. You know, again, these, these little isolated pockets of Vermont. So the traveler insisted, you know, I'll take anything, whatever you have for a space. I'll be out at, you know, the dawn's first light. You won't even know that I'm here. Plus, you know, I'll, I'll order some drinks. I'll make it worth your while. So he really was trying to, you know, change his mind in any way that he could. So the tavern keeper said, all right, well, I do have this small room. I don't typically let people stay in it because the last person I let stay in it was murdered, and of course, it was the barber. (laughs) And he said there's some people who have stayed at the tavern and have said they've heard strange noises coming from this old room. And of course, the traveler is like, well, you know, I don't believe in ghosts. You know, I really need a place to stay for the evening. My, My horse is tired. I'm tired. You know, don't worry about it. I'm not afraid of ghosts. So the traveler did as he said. He went in, sat at the bar for a while, refreshed himself quite comfortably, and he was getting all set to go up to the room in which he was planning on spending the evening, the murder room. Hmm. And um, he said, you know, as he was getting ready to uh, go up the stairs, he was all alone and he heard a voice say, do you want to be shaved? And he looked around. He was quite a few steps away from the bar. And he's like, all right, you know, maybe I've had too much to drink. It's my imagination. You know, I'm thinking a little bit too much about this murdered barber in there. So he continues to go um, up the stairs and he's getting all set to go in his room. And um, he decides that, you know what, maybe just just one more drink to ease his nerves. He's going to go back down, back down to the tavern, talk to the tavern keeper, 
and told him of this voice he heard as he was approaching the room that said, do you want to be shaved? So as he finished his drink, and this time he was certain he was going to go back upstairs and stay there, he laughed and he said, well, if he comes, he may shave me. <laughs> so he went back up to the room, got ready to get all settled in, and he could hear quite a commotion coming from one of the downstairs rooms where some men were sitting there gambling. And apparently, they were having one heck of a time. And I've read about uh, a lot of instances at taverns where gambling would get very much out of hand. Yep. Um, everything from, you know, hearing people shooting off guns to end a gambling game to people smashing out windows and making an escape with whatever money was on the table. Um, these gambling games back in tavern days could get pretty wild. So, of course, he said he put that out of his mind. He was now feeling good. He's had his last drink. He laid down on the bedclothes and he heard that same voice again. Do you want to be shaved? So he sat up, looked around, and again, there shouldn't be anybody in the room. What was going on? Yeah. Was there really a ghost? Was it imagination? So he decided he was going to just search around the room to see if there was anything, you know, that could have possibly been making these noises. And he went and looked out the window. Didn't see anything strange. Noticed there was a tree that was pretty close to the window. Turned around, went to lay back down. And once again, he heard the voice say, do you want to be shaved? Now he turned back around to the window and noticed that that tree that was so close, the branch was actually rubbing up against the window. Yep. And he looked and he surmised that the sound of the branch rubbing on the window sounded like somebody asking, do you want to be shaved? So sounds reasonable. <laughs> I, well, now remember, he just went down yeah. and had another drink. He was drinking quite heartily at the bar, and um, you know he was pretty satisfied that all right. So it's it's the tree branch. It's not really a ghost. And he lay down and tried to go back to sleep, um, but he could still hear the gambling guys downstairs, you know, laughing, having you know such a good time. And he's like, you know what, I'm not going to be able to sleep if they keep this up all night long. So he decided what he was going to do was wrap himself in the white bed sheet. And um, he put a towel over his arm and he had the wash basin in one of his hands. And he went downstairs into the room where the gamblers were and asked them, do you want to be shaved? Okay. Yeah. The gamblers were terrified <laughs> at his appearance. So they all took off. And when they all left the room, of course, they left some of their money behind. So he went and collected whatever he could find for money from the table, swept it into the basin, and went back upstairs, took off the towel, took off the bedclothes and went to, she to sleep. So the next morning, there was so much confusion in the house. People were actually saying, you know, we saw the ghost last night. 
in the tavern. Not only did we hear him, but we saw him. And of course, he was chuckling to himself because he knew that the truth of the matter that was really him that had um, dressed as the ghost. So um, it was funny because a couple of the gamblers were sitting there and they said that they had never heard of a ghost robbing people. <laughs> All he wanted to do was offer them a shave like it did not make sense to them. Yep. So our, our friendly traveler took this as his cue, packed up his stuff, hopped on his horse, and took off. And of course, the, the gamblers never found the rest of their money. They still maintained for years later that the tavern was haunted. Um, again, you know, by this barber's ghost, as opposed to, uh, you know, this man who used the ghost story to his utmost advantage. Yep. That's the liquor talking right there. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. So, I, I again, you know, when I find these stories and when I'm telling these stories, I just, I play it out like a movie reel in my mind. Yeah. You know, here, here are all these guys and, you know, they're sitting in, they're drinking and they're gambling and everybody knows the place is haunted. And here he comes down, you know, wrapped in a white sheet with a white towel and the basin and they're just taking off and he's like you know what i think i'm gonna help myself and like no one's the wiser like i could totally see that happening yeah that's the fun part because he went down just trying to get him out of the place when they left and left all the money he probably went hmm i'll just take that opportunity knocks yep wow it's just it's so funny the line he comes up with is do you want to shave <laughs> Do you want to shave? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, bring on the ghost. Sure. Let him shave me. <laughs> Just say no. Just say no. I don't want to shave. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that is our third terrifying tale for Halloween. We've got the kickoff. This is the kickoff of season four of Wicked Curious. Mm-hmm. What's in store for podcast listeners for the rest of season four? Not specifics, but more of the same, more of the great content you've been getting in the first three seasons. Yeah, more of, you know, the, the spooky ghost stories and folklore. Um, you know, this is, it's such a great format to share stories that I really don't have an opportunity to share on my tours or some of the talks that I do. Um, I'm just constantly coming up with, stories just you know i'll research one story and end up finding two others that i sort of tuck into the file and i'm like you know someday it would be nice to tell those stories so um there'll definitely be some themes as well so i'll mm -hmm. try to you know group some stories together uh so that way you know if you're looking for uh you know whether it's uh, haunted farms or haunted cemeteries i'll try to come up with some themes and I, i'm always always looking for suggestions too um, as to, you know, what people are looking for. We've talked a lot about haunted lighthouses, but we haven't talked about all the haunted lighthouses yeah. out there. And you're looking for stories. So if listeners have stories, by all means, send them along. Where, where can they send the stories to? How can they contact you? So you can always send your stories to Roxy Zwicker, R-O-X-I-E-Z-W-I-C-K-E-R at gmail.com. You can always visit New England Curiosities at newenglandcuriosities.com. Some of the places that I visit and I'm researching, you can find on my Instagram 
at RoxyZW. Um, I spent a lot of time this summer looking for news stories in Connecticut and Rhode Island. So you're going to see some of those stories come up on Wicked Curious as well. But uh, listeners, any tales you have, whether it be in your family or in your home or <clears throat> in your neighborhood or in your town, uh, it's always great to get those stories because it's just there's an endless supply of them here in New England. And you don't know who else might be telling a story about that location. Happens all the time. Yep. So thank you so much for joining us for our episode one of season four of Wicked Curious Radio. And don't forget that you can go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And for now, we bid you a fond farewell and remind you to always stay spooky. Happy Halloween! Wicked Curious Radio with Roxy's Wicker is a Patreon-supported podcast. Please go to patreon.com, Roxy's Wicker, for more information about the great benefits that you will find becoming a patron of this show. Thank you for your support.